Welcome back to Sarah Minds' episode 45. This is guest 45 or 46, something like that. But another great guest from uh, the Venture PR folks who uh, have uh, been recommending the, you know, the past couple guys and, and girls. Um, I'm super honored to have another one of their um, clients as well as friends and, and things like that. Uh, today, we're talking to Matt Heisey. He is a uh, uh, UCLA MBA candidate and at the same time head of product at uh, this company called, or this startup called uh, Ferret. And uh, we're going to be learning a lot about Ferret today and, and just uh, talking about the scene in LA um, and, and all that good stuff. Yeah, man, happy to have you on the podcast. It's, it's, it's a real pleasure here. Great to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me. For sure. So uh, to get the to get into the weight of things, you're the uh, head of product, is or the, is it the product, the head product officer is how, how would we know what, you're, you're, what you do over for for ferret we're really bad at titles at this company uh, <laughs> so i can see why it's a little bit ambiguous but basically yeah i'm leading the product design the product uh, strategy and really pivoting now into more of like a business development for ferret as we're moving through our beta phase getting initial customers on board and finding out from them how's the product working where does it have gaps and how can we better uh, tweak it to address their specific needs it's now that the rubber is hitting the road it's turning no into uh you know helping us pivot and uh, get exactly right with our alignment man that sounds awesome what is uh so what is ferret by the way who are the customers and like what's the ideal market and what's the tech yeah, so Ferret is, uh, to boil it down into a couple of words, uh, automated due diligence. And when I say due diligence, your eyes probably glaze over because when most people hear due diligence, it's like, well, there's some person at a back office at a bank somewhere whose job it is to find out, or maybe it's at a law firm, maybe it's in a government agency to find out if you're somebody that they can do business with. You know, are they trustworthy? Do they have uh, active lawsuits? Are they a money launderer? Are they involved in criminal enterprise? But then also, you know, what is this person's reputation? Is this somebody who could bring like bad blowback on the institution? Um, but that's typically, again, at the very, very end of a deal. What we've done is we have basically acquired one of those companies that provides that due diligence information to more than 8,000 banks and governments around the world. And we've put a layer of AI on top of that that replaces the job of those analysts so that you know, we can connect to your phone contacts, your Google Calendar, your LinkedIn contacts, um, and continually do due diligence on everybody in your professional and social network. So our initial target with this company is you know, investors, it's venture capitalists, it's also startup founders, where they're trying to decide, is this somebody I should do business with? Can they bring mm. risks to my business? Is this a good opportunity? Is this, is this yeah, person, is. you know, neglecting to tell me about their 10 past bankruptcies, or did they just sell their company for $50 million? So, so it's yeah. like a yeah. little bit of a background check, right? Or something like that? Background no. check information is a part of what it is. Yeah. Um, you know, background checks typically rely on more like just criminal data. Whereas we're really focused more on like white collar crime, but oh, then also <laughs> like business ownership history and we do it at a global scale. Yeah, Matt, quick, quick question. Since, uh, for example, you know, in, in my startup, we just finished our price round. So we had to go like the traditional venture due diligence. I mean, what's the difference between personal due diligence and like company due diligence? Because I think most people think of due diligence as, you know, peering through like a startup or a corporation and like, do, do I want to like either buy or acquire, invest in it, right? So this seems to be like a different 
way of due diligence? Like more of like, do I even want to do business with this person? Is that the use case here? That's the use case for sure. What we're doing is we're taking due diligence away from the very end of the relationship and we're bringing it to the very beginning of the relationship. So you know, right before you were going to get me on this phone call, you might've got a push <laughs> notification from Ferret saying, oh, hey, this Matt guy, uh, actually he's in the middle of a lawsuit. This whole company could be a fraud. Or you might've got a push notification that, oh, hey, this Matt guy previously sold a couple of companies in the past. He's a member of this venture fund. Oh, here's some like positive news that's come out about him. You know, it's just giving you the due diligence information upfront and automatically. No way. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. You guys have uh, users already, or where are you guys with the uh, like test or like the product and, and um, you know customers? So right now we are in closed beta with the app, and oh. we've got about. So how we got this company off the ground was really interesting. We when we first started talking to investors. Uh, every single investor who came into this company, there was 35 of them so far, came in because they themselves had some kind of a story of like when they wish they had due diligence and they invested because they wanted the app. So as we're going through uh, our closed beta right now, we're really just staying within our initial family of investors. They've got their own funds. They've got their own partners. We're working with them. One of them is the chairman of quite a large bank. We're working with them to, as our beta customers because they're friendlies. And we're making sure that everything's working well for them before we take the, the brakes off of our beta program and let everybody on the wait list on. You know, I'd love to just get a little bit more of a sense of how your uh, day-to-day is with uh, the company. Is it, you know, I guess a lot of product managers, they, they, they do varied work for sure. So are you like in charge of like making designs or UX research and, and kind of how does that look like in a closed beta with, uh, you know, really, you know, new company? Yeah. So this is a company again, where we're, we're all still wearing a lot of hats. So uh-huh. my day to day is right now, a lot of meetings with those initial beta customers where we are you know, trying out a new use case, getting more people onboarded and uh, you know, showing them how to use it and some different applications that they can try it out for. And then it's also sitting them down and getting their stories. Like, what did you find? What, what impact did this have on the decisions that you made? What do you wish it could do? And then bringing that back to the design team. So going back to the design team saying, here's what's working, here's what's not, looking at the analytics that are showing, okay, um, where are people getting stuck? Where could we optimize this a little bit more? And uh, trying to get the, and then working with the development team as well, making sure that product management, the, you know, the project managers are basically getting those changes into the next design sprints or the next development sprints. So I can then bring that back to our beta users and say, oh, hey, look, we fixed it. Try this out. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's interesting. It's something we always kind of get into on the show. Is like what made you know the question or like the, the the thing I'd love to ask you is like what made you interested in this particular field of work and you know how did you how did Ferret find you and like how did you end up there? And yeah, it's definitely <laughs> a pretty roundabout story. Um, so yeah, I'm a engineer who really got bit by the startup bug uh, when I was in university. I was looking to go a route into more traditional banking, consulting. That's the kind of like, uh, like internship stuff that I'd done. Uh-huh. And then I got spit by a startup bug and started a company called Star Power, was the head of product for that company as well, helped build it and launch it and ended up moving the team down here to Los Angeles. And after exiting that company, I was working in a, a venture studio that I built with my partners and my uh, investors from that company that... Uh, you know, where I, I'm essentially the person who gets 
the products delivered from that company. So helping manage the developers, working with the founders to uh, you know, help turn their idea into a product that we could then go out and sell and market. We had sure. some really big successes in that uh, agency as well. And that is where I met Rob Lawhan, the CEO of Ferret. And Rob is like a multi-unicorn founder. He started a company called uh, uh, Conductive and Octane Software. Both of those were unicorn exits. Uh, then he did some fun stuff for a while, built some ski resorts and a winery before getting back into the tech game and founding a, a company okay. called Flawless Photonics. They make, oh, wow. They're the first company to make optical fiber uh, or anything, actually, any commercial product in space. And he was a, he was a VC who was the first investor in that Nomino Data company. So Nomino Data is the one that has that big data background check due diligence uh, that they sell to banks and governments around the world. And when they were trying to figure out how do, we how do we grow this company, how do we turn it into a commercial product, that was when you know, they brought me in to essentially help yeah, work sure. with that team and develop it. No, that's really cool. Um, well, one more thing here is uh, let, let, let's, I'd love to hear about your... Um work uh, your time your time as an MBA student I know it's only been what two two months right three months um yes what what made you decide to get an MBA because uh I mean a lot of people I guess in my inner circle are in that you know same boat of you know get an MBA or a lot of people we know have have uh already I guess I mean what went to B school and earned an MBA like did you do you, yeah like did you did you see the MBA really enhancing your your yeah, and, and maybe my my tag-along question, Matt, is, <laughs> you know, a lot of people go to MBA to be a product manager, and you actually lead product management. So this is really intriguing, right? Uh, what would that accelerate, uh, I guess, in your mind? Uh, just because I think a lot of our listeners are also struggling with this, right? Like, they're in startups. I think there are sometimes rocket ships, and they always ask, like, should I even go back to school, Right. Right. Well, I'd say like in my startup journey right now, I've always been a co-founder of a venture. I've always been working more with the business people. There's like a typically a CEO, a CFO, and then myself on product. And that, that's how we do, that's how we build the business. But at some point in my not distant future, I see myself wanting to go the CEO route. Um, you know, there's some projects I'm developing on my own, et cetera, that I want to be the I want to have the skills and the capabilities to be that CEO, but come to it with all of this product experience and product background that I have. And that's why I wanted to go get an MBA. I, I know where my gaps are in oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. finance and <laughs> operations. And uh, you know, I, I can bring all the engineering and product skills to the table, but the MBA is gonna really going to round that out to the point where I'm going to really feel comfortable in, uh, in the driver's seat. No, that's so cool. I think, you know, you have a real wild mix of a real life experience and the same time education, which is, you know, interesting. And I think with entrepreneurship, like, like a lot of the thing is you learned on your own. Um, but definitely, you know, B school teaches you a lot of critical, uh, you know, skills and, and definitely learn, learn how to manage um, a business, you know, from people who have done it before. So I, th I think that's, that's pretty awesome. Um, something I think we should, I, I would love to hear too, is like, how would you contrast, uh, you know, what you learn at UCLA Anderson with, I guess, what you learn um, kind of being an entrepreneur or have learned in the, like being an entrepreneur on your own. And what do you think um, is different um, from a classroom versus, uh, I guess, real, I mean, your own, your own independent um, experience with businesses? Yeah. I'd say one of the most 
valuable benefits of doing the MBA was getting a broader range of tools that you can try to apply. Like when you're working as an entrepreneur, you have what works for you. And then you have what you learn from your mentors or from the people that you work with. And you find yourself kind of reusing those because you see that it works <laughs> and you're like, hey, that worked last time. I'm going to do it again. Whereas, you know, going, doing an MBA and you beat school, you're learning like, oh, here's like a whole menu of things that you can try. And because this was a part-time program, like I'm doing it while I'm uh, helping run this company, I could be like, oh, that sounds interesting. I'm going to do it tomorrow. And uh, (laughs) I applied that actually when we were uh, hiring a new head of marketing. I was like, we had a class on, oh, here's how you can structure like incentive packages to really motivate workers in uh, like these metric driven fields. I was like, I'm just going to take this, put this into her job offer. And I'm going to like uh, really just exactly copy paste like these things that are supposed to work really well. We'll see how it goes. And it's been working great. And uh, that's one of the benefits of the part-time program too, is like, uh, you know, learn it today, try it tomorrow, bring it back to class the next week and go like, oh yeah, that worked. That's so funny. I think, you know, that's, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And, and Matt, maybe a, a thought here. I mean, you know, uh, startup life is also somewhat complicated, you know, and, and fast paced. You know, what are the, you know, biggest, I guess, challenges of starting a company, right? Like, you know, because a lot of our, our listeners too are, are kind of always on the fence, right? Like some of them are, are currently in early stage um, kind of mode, maybe some of them in ideation, but what really gets a startup to to really fly? Uh, especially you had some exits before, and you know you're even with a uh, you know uh, this kind of mature startup that uh, you know is backed by you know you know unicorn uh, you know uh, founders, right? Um, wh- what gets it to become a successful company, or at least what what is the challenges you have to overcome early on in order for success to be more you know, um, higher, higher probability of success later on. Yeah. I think that the most important thing that we looked for at the venture studio uh, at ferret, et cetera, is you have to have that day one customer right off the bat. So in our case, you know, we were really lucky because the investors were our customers. So when we were raising money, we were also raising customers. People were basically writing us checks in order to go and sell our product. Um, but that applies really in any business. You have to have, you should be starting in a field where you know some, you have some unfair advantage that's going to allow you to you know, gain customers that very first day. Um, you know, whether it's people from your previous company that are going to be like uh, buying into your new product or you know, whether it, you're just addressing a field, an area where you have a deep network and deep relationships and you know that day one customer right off the bat, that's very critical. Oh yeah, I think I think that's that's super important too. I I mean, uh, and I think getting to, getting to that point is a little bit tricky, but everyone has you know their own kind of background and and how they can leverage it. So that, yeah, that does and sense. it's making sure that you're solving that pain point. Like uh, you know, every every single investor that came into Ferret did it because they themselves had a story of getting burned. I've got so many like good stories about you know deals gone wrong from venture capitalists or founders <laughs> who were taken horrible advantage of like if you guys want to hear any of those those are there's some uh, you, good you, ones there i don't know you have you have a like a favorite you, you don't mind sharing or uh, yeah absolutely sharing? i'll give you one actually this is uh one of our of our founders story rob lawhan this guy unicorn founder has been around the block quite a few times um but he was starting a company uh This was back about 2010 that was growing great. It was in the e-commerce space. They were doing this uh, essentially 
in-store drop shipping. It was growing really quickly. And, you know, he had to raise money uh, to help the business scale. So, you know, calls a friend at Goldman Sachs uh, to get help get some introductions. And he hears, hey, this guy just sold a company for a ton of money. He's looking for somewhere to invest. Come here and meet him. <laughs> he got this like, you know, you're getting a personal referral. He flies to New York, you're getting a referral from a trusted finance guy, um, comes in, look, everything looks great. And this guy gives him basically an offer he can't refuse. He's like, I will write the checks for this whole company. I love it. I'm going to be your sole financial backer. You know, uh, tell me what you need. And for the next round, come back to me again. And so they take this guy's money. Um, about a year later, it's time for their series B. And he's like, okay, well, I'm just going to give you a bridge, like a, a bridge loan that's going to help tide you over to the next bit. And yeah, there's like an expiry date on that, but don't worry, we'll just convert it. They always convert. Right. <laughs> um, and the day before it was supposed to convert, he called the note. He called the note and foreclosed on the intellectual property in the company that was the, uh, you know, basically the collateral for the loan. Nobody does that. But yeah, like yeah. he filed suit that day and he basically initiated a hostile takeover of the company. And when he did that, you know, the founder was out as the CEO. Half the company walked out the door the next day because they were, you know, the CEO was leaving and the company crashed and burned. It led to a giant lawsuit. Wow. But what Ferret would have found in this case was that this guy had done it three times before. Wow. It turned That's out that this, this was this guy's MO. He wow. like he was he had been sued three other times by companies that he'd done this hostile takeover on before. Oh wow. So th this yeah, so this was uh the guy who did it. He was um he was a founder, right? Or he was a VC, like, he was a he was a guy who gave the money or Yeah, he was the guy who gave the money. Yeah, he'd invested, he put the money in and he did oh. it as a convertible note and then he called that note at the very last minute to initiate a hostile takeover. Oh, like he took the note back or like he Yeah. He basically mm. demanded repayment. Demanded repayment oh. at the last minute after he'd like led them along thinking, oh, don't worry about it. I'm going to do the next round. I'll be there at that date. Just focus on gr growing the business. And they had this company was worth nine figures at that point. Wow. Yeah. I've got, uh, a, I've got another good story. <laughs> one of our, uh, one of our, <laughs> one of our other investors, these are you know, we're, yeah, sure. we're filming with these guys right now. You know, he's, an investment advisor. He's got 35 high net worth individuals who are his clients. And he basically goes and finds seed stage, series A uh, stage startups for them. He finds this one from a really, another successful founder. He'd grown a business that was on a series B valuation around 600 million. And um, yeah, everything looks great. So he takes this to his partners and they're like, yeah, everything looks great. They, he, he even went and typed in like the name of the founder and lawsuits into Google as part of his due diligence to see if there was anything going wrong. Cause that's kind of the tools that are available right yeah, now. Sure. <laughs> nothing, nothing came up. So fast forward about a month, the deal's closed. And at that point, the news hits that the founder and that company were in the middle of like a massive 60 plus million dollar lawsuit for essentially stealing content off of a competitor's website and putting it on their, uh, on their own website to boost their growth numbers. Wow. And yeah, that's insane. <laughs> so that company crashed and burned. But again, the use case for Ferret would have been, um, you know, if you had that content, that guy in your contacts, because you were working with him. You, know, you were raising money for him. You were writing that deal. You would have got a push notification as soon as that lawsuit got filed. <laughs> and you, know, you would have known, oh, wait, this guy 
didn't tell me about this lawsuit that's that's in action. He lied on his reps and warranties to all of his investors because he ref- he didn't go back and tell them that during the closing of the deal that active litigation had started. That's interesting. Um, something we would love to hear is like how how big do you do you, would you say that the market is for this type of a problem, or how big how big is the market? You know, like when you 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 uh, made made some research. Like, would you say that it's it's kind of hard to know about the VC market, right? Since you, you, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it, it's a random, I feel like these things are, well, I, I'm sorry. I, I, I'll take that back. How, how big is the market? <laughs> no. Yeah. So the market definitely, we see it like a bullseye right in the middle is uh, like these finance professionals, investors, there's actually over 13 million accredited investors in the United States. Like a lot of them aren't doing tech investment, but they might be doing real estate. They might be doing classic cars, whatever it is. They're dealing with significant sums of money that is really significant. Yeah, Yeah, where the people they're doing business with matters. But broader outside of that is the whole financial services industry. Anybody responsible for managing other people's money. Like right now, the risk management market size, like Gartner Analytics, we're working with them as part of their like founders program. They say that risk management is about a $28 billion industry right now. No way. And this little corner of like uh, basically in third party risk management, third party uh, compliance is growing about 50% year over year. And yeah, what we're but we have bigger dreams than that. Like sure, we're thinking sure. we're going to take this thing. That's like, you know, usually they're like $10,000 licenses that go to some guy in like the back office at a bank. We think that by making it cheap or free, that we're going to be able to make this just universal. Like uh, I'm going to give you one more example. This is a, this is how this could work for your more average person. who's not an investor since 2019. Everybody in the world knows Jeffrey Epstein's name. Uh-huh. But in 2009, he was a convicted felon. And, no, and from 2009 to 2019, he was being taken, he was, had pictures taken with him with all kinds of influential figures. He was making donations to universities. They were putting his name on like uh, library racks at MIT. And uh-huh. people claimed afterwards they didn't know. They didn't know that he was this bad guy. They didn't know that, you know, that it would come back to bite them. And people lost their jobs over that. People lost their reputations over that. We think that by everybody having Ferret connected to all their contacts, they're going to get that red alert that says, oh, hey, who this one person out of your 700 contacts is somebody that might actually be a danger to you. And you need to be aware of that. Do you only see Ferret for the business, um, like the business applications in terms of a, like doing, you know, you know, becoming a potential business partner and investor, or do you see this kind of going into like consumer where, you know, you verify friends or family, or, I mean, people, people like it already in your context, is that a potential um, avenue that you guys would want to expand that into? Or do you think that the niche of uh, just, um, you know, getting into business with someone and, and not having a PR explosion um, is kind of the bread and butter that you guys have? We think it's got a broader reach for okay. sure. So, you know, one concept is dating. I was supposed to say <laughs> yeah, exactly. that, like, like dating, if not marriage, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Dating might be a little less important, but if you're considering, like, oh, wait, am I actually going to, like, marry this person? Then you might want to know. Hmm, do they have like shady offshore bank accounts in the Cayman Islands? Or there's a lot of movies about that. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, um, 
there's a much broader application. Our, our goal is that it's just as universal as LinkedIn. Like right now you go on LinkedIn, you, you basically look up like, what does somebody say about themselves? Like, what, you know, it's basically an ad that they write about themselves. But instead, what if you could also just connect that same contact list to Ferret all the time and get notified about, you know, what else there is? I love that use case. Yeah, I guess, I guess, I guess, Matt, uh, from, from, from my, from my side. Um, yeah, let's, maybe let's, let's go back. Let's go back and like, kind of what, what, what inspired you to become an entrepreneur? I mean, is that kind of just from family background or, or, or like, how did that happen? Uh, just because, you know, we're trying to also find, is it nature or nurture or, or like how, where does the inspiration come from? Yeah. I think that the inspiration was really idolizing some entrepreneurs and founders. Like I'm from a Mm. a really rural, like I think coal mining town in the Canadian Rockies and really just being enamored by like, how do people make it big? Like how do you kind of totally change the circumstances of your life and kind of go from, you know, humble roots to, massive success and entrepreneurship was always seen as the way that that is done. You have to build a business. You have to build something that's bigger than yourself and really kind of change your whole circumstances, your whole situation in life. And uh, yeah, that was, that was the initial spark of it. Um, But it was really when I was in college and actually had a chance to get some mentors who themselves were entrepreneurs and uh, you'll be part of a community where there's uh, people starting companies, people start uh, creating things that I was like, I want into this part of this world. I want into this reality. I mean, tell us more. Well, you, you kind of mentioned a little bit that you, you did something in college and, and kind of got the entrepreneurial bug there. Like, what was the first business? Uh, was that the, uh, the, the, star, the star business or was it something else? Was your first foray into entrepreneurship? So that was my first like foray into a real startup where like we raised uh. <laughs> and where we um, like went all the way with it. There was a couple of like fits and starts along the way, but that was the first one where you know, I got to, I got to ride the whole ride. Mm, but what, what was the, what was the story before the story? I definitely love to hear that. You know, is it, you know, some people told us it's basketball cards or football, baseball cards. Some people were selling t-shirts. <laughs> what was, what was your story? Uh, the very, very first story uh, was <laughs> a company called Flock and Flock. Flock. Yeah. So this is a, this is a company where, we were working with a like local utility company. And the idea was it basically just run a big marketing campaign to get people to sign up and say, Hey, I will switch to this utility company. If we can negotiate a pretty big pre-negotiated discount, the logic was, Hey, if we get a hundred thousand people to say, they'll all switch to one company at the same time, we can negotiate a pretty steep discount. Then we would take some of that Delta. Um, that company was actually the, I, the Sounds model, like a good idea. Sounds like a good idea. Yeah, yeah. No, that model did work out pretty well. It was more of like a school project. Um, like it just sort of like petered out after we did the initial uh, test run with it. And we're like, yeah, this kind of works. But like the marketing costs were kind of high. We didn't really make any money. But I think that as we continued to build that, um, like a our own owned audience of users who we could have went and done that with different utilities or different products, there might've been a business there, but you know, the opportunity with star power just came along right about that time and was way bigger. 
Oh no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're kind of re- running toward the the end of the the cycle here for the for the show. It's it's been super enjoying uh, for me to just learn about all the stuff you're working on and and uh, how how fair it is really working to prevent um, a lot of uh, you know bad things going wrong or things going wrong. So that's that's really that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. So uh, maybe maybe yeah. My, my, at least my my two last questions already alluded to you, Matt. Is number one is um you know yeah if you had to give advice to your you know 20, 19, 20 year old self discover you know your startup mindset what would it be and uh you know and then the, the next question would be like if you had to summarize uh you know what your startup mindset is uh, as a person what would that be yeah okay um i think my advice like 19 20 year old me uh it was me coming <laughs> from this very very small town went moving to a giant city to go to the you know, top university in the country and uh i was really torn to like I was doing an internship at a, at a giant bank at 19. And I was like, do I go this route? Do I take this like nice, safe path? And like, I'll be richer than I could have imagined I would have been when I was a kid doing that. But I think the advice to 20 year old self, it would be do like, take the entrepreneurship route. You know, if you're going to have more fun, it's going to be more fulfilling. Um, I haven't regretted a second of it. And my advice to me at that time would have been like, don't let that scare you. And don't try to keep one foot in both sides. I did that for a long time, trying to keep like one foot in the more <laughs> traditional career side and trying to do the entrepreneurship on the side. I, that uh, going all in earlier, honestly, would have helped. Um, and my startup mindset is, you know, this is what we look for in our investment side. This is what I've looked for myself as a, as a part of founding teams is find your unfair advantage. Like, uh, I love you know, it. it there's something that you're better at than anybody else. There's some market, you know, better than anybody else play to your strengths. And uh, you know, like the only companies that we invest in is something where either we can add immediate value. Cause like, Hey, we have a partner, we have a customer, we have like uh, you know, something in our portfolio that we can immediately add value. And likewise with those founders um, or with, even with myself, it's find a, find that one strength that you have better than anybody else and play to it. Yeah, I love that, man. That's a uh, sound advice for sure. I think, um, uh, you know, I think all too often people can dwell on what they aren't capable about, but but you know, people people kind of uh, focus on what they can't do a lot because they need to get that part of the the the, the plan out of the way. But mm-hmm. definitely, just playing to your strengths and, and um, having other people who can fill in those gaps, like you said, and getting the knowledge from school to fill into the fill in those gaps is definitely a really cool like cycle of uh, trial and error which sounds so exciting um and and you know definitely worth trying for sure um can we come to the, come to the end of the road it's been great learning about what you're doing where you're from and where where, where you trajectory that you're going <laughs> so the last part here is uh how can people you you know potentially follow i mean get, get in touch with you and, and learn more about ferret yeah. So people can look me up on LinkedIn, just Matt Heisey, H-E-I-S-I-E, uh, but go sign up for the Ferret beta. Uh, if you go to ferret.ai, uh, click join now, you can use, uh, just use my personal referral code, Matt sent me, and uh, it will bump you up on the on the wait list. We're, we're letting more people in every day. And uh, obviously I control that list. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> the folks who use my referral code, uh, we'll get you in there. I'd love to uh, hear what stories you find uh, in your network. No way. That's awesome. 
that does it for another episode of Sort of Mindsets. Uh, thank you guys for listening, and um, have a great rest of the day. <laughs>